0: Are in the membership class. Matt's back there and he is waiting on you guys to join him. You know, I could get offended that he scheduled his membership class the same time I started a Bible study. You know, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) We set it up like this. I had to throw an offense joke out there. Yes, Twyla has books. So if you guys want a book, um, for the study, if you're watching online, we, uh, we know that you guys are there too. And so hello to our online audience. We know some when they're sick or just out or can't come because of work or whatever, that they can join us online, and we're glad that you're here and um, that you've joined us tonight. But we do have books. Um, they're $15 a piece. That's just what I paid for them. And so if you want to get a book, you can pay uh, Twyla or you can pay on Tithely um, and we'll just keep selling them till we run out. I bought 20 if I need to buy more I'll buy more I bought them on Amazon Prime you can get your own it's up to you but I would recommend getting this book because it is life changing um, every single Christian every believer needs to read this book not just listen to my teaching Because, well, especially we're not going to get through the whole book in five weeks. Because I decided to stay on chapter two this week. And I think there's 13 chapters in this book. (laughs) So we only have five weeks. So we are going to start condensing. But I did feel um, just a really huge tug on my heart to stay in chapter two this week. um, Because there are, I think, some foundational things that we really need to um, apply and just to be aware of. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of times in our life where, like, something happened, but we kind of get numb to it over time. Like, have you ever had a pain or something going on in your body, and it's something that you just dealt with for years? And so you almost, like, not forget that it's there, but you just don't pay much attention to it, or you just gotten used to taking four Advil a day or whatever you know what I'm saying Um, and that's kind of how um, offense is sometimes and and that's what Satan wants that offense to be hidden Um, an offense can happen when we're young when we um, it's so far back that we can't even really remember what happened but rest assured the enemy uh, once he got you he has worked on you a long time even without you maybe even knowing it. And so when it can get so intertwined that it's really, uh, really tough to get out of that sometimes. Um, You know, self-discovery and awareness um, is not to condemn or to bring shame on us. I really felt to bring that out tonight because I felt like last week, you know, I felt like there's a, Yes, okay, this is maybe true for me. I'm feeling a pull. This is exciting that we're learning how to expose Satan and his trap um, and what he's maybe done to me and how this has happened. And But then there's also a part about self-discovery and awareness of when we start really digging deep that we're not really happy with what we find, right? And so a lot of times... um, we think there's some nobility in this of of owning these problems, but then feeling shameful or bringing on self-condemnation. But there's no condemnation in Christ, okay? So he is not here to condemn you. I'm not here to condemn you. Oh Jesus, I'm not here to condemn myself. So I know how it feels because sometimes I get hard on myself once I realize, I can't believe I did that. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so it's not to bring shame or condemnation. And, you know, I've been in a fight before where someone, um, not my husband or anything, um, (laughs) made like a really good jab at me in the middle of an argument. And it hit me and I realized there was some truth to what he said. And rather than just accepting the truth and repenting of it and moving on, you know, like ideally how it should go. Um, surely I'm not alone. What happens? Kind of get like hard and defensive and like, well, fine. You know what? I am just a terrible person. And you know what? I just don't even deserve you. And we get really passive aggressive. Y'all ever heard of that? And then we start playing these, these games and we get really extra and just Offended and wrapped up with all of our emotions. And obviously, that shows that we still, I'll just refer to me, that I still had pride or have pride. And then I'm mad at myself, mad at him. And what's happened? I've taken the bait. Last week, if you weren't here last week or don't really know what we're talking about, we're talking about the bait of Satan, which is offense. Okay, And so um, the bait that Satan puts in front of us is that moment of offense. And if we take that and let it fester, it becomes other things. And really it captivates us. We uh, become a captive to Satan. And then he just plays all kinds of games with us. But um, on the other hand, you could just not know that there's an underlying problem Either because of pride or just like I said, like the pain that it's become so a part of you that you just kind of identify with it. And so when we're singing songs like Justin was leading us in tonight, we're singing, Ah the Father, I belong to you, I'm yours, I'm yours forever. But then we've got this pain that's hidden under the surface that we've swept under the rug because we feel like, you know, oh, that happened so long ago. That person's maybe not even in my life anymore. Or I have to get along with that person because they're family or I live with that person, et cetera. You just don't deal with the real issue. And so you just continue on. And so you just kind of turn a blind eye to it because we're supposed to turn the other cheek, right? People take that out of context, We've got to deal with the sin issue. And offense is sin. Even if somebody actually did something wrong to you and you're justifiably in the right, if you get offended, you have sinned. And it's a sin issue that is going to um, lead to death to your spirit. It's that serious. And if us Christians... Um, can continue on with church without dealing with our offenses and unforgiveness, then we're only going to go to a certain level. But I'm telling you what. We are revivalists. We love Jesus. We are his forever, and he's rooting for us. Your pastors are rooting for you. Nobody is going to shame you or condemn you for confessing that, hey, I've got some offense in my life, and I need to deal with this. Because guess what? I'm here. I had a really almost backed out. Man, if I could have that last Wednesday, I was like, Matt came into the church and I said, I don't think I'm going to teach tonight. Can we just worship? (laughs) And, you know, he said something that really, really helped me because I didn't want to teach it because I said I'm in not a good place to teach this because I think, you know, I'm dealing with offenses, (laughs) you know, or I have dealt with offenses. I'm not perfect. I haven't accomplished these great things that he said in this book that I need to, you know, be doing. And I just didn't feel good enough. And, you know, he said something uh, really profound to me that stuck with me. It was a quote by, I believe he said, Harriet Beecher Stowe. um, But he said, to teach is to learn twice. And so that gave me some consolation and some peace in my spirit that I am learning just as I'm teaching this to you guys. I'm learning along with you. And we're in this together. We're linked up together. We're an army. Okay? And so if one person over here has an offense, we say, I got you. God's got this. And we encourage each other. And that's why it's so important not to be an island, even if you're sitting in here. If you have no relationships in this community of believers, you're being an island. You can't help others, and they can't help you. And the wisdom of God, Rita, flows through you. Lindsay, the wisdom of God flows through you and what you've learned from things others need to hear. Mistakes that you've made. Mallory, mistakes that you've made. You could be ashamed or or condemned, uh, self-condemned, whatever, and keep it inside or... You could testify, put Satan under your feet and say, this is what I've been through. I'm going to share my wisdom. We've all got to be linked up together. We've got to be helping each other out in this. And if we stay in a corner and saying, I'm ashamed to tell anybody this, you just living with the bait. And it's going to just spiral um, spiral out of control. Um, and he's just going to mentally oppress you in ways that is going to lead you so distant from from the Lord and feeling his presence and feeling the blessings of God. So we've got to be real with ourselves. We've got to be able to admit um, and not be an unchanged Christian. Can you be a Christian and not really be changed? Yeah. There's people that sit in here, I believe, every Sunday that are unchanged. They have Holy Spirit inside of them, but they have not allowed that power to be activated. Have you, are you living a life where you believe the Holy Spirit's power is fully activated in your life? Man, I would love that, but I'm going to be real. I don't know that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to be fully activated in my life right? Is anybody with me? Okay. So we've got somewhere to go. We can't just be sitting. You know what? I've been so prideful before that I've been sitting and listening to a sermon or a message or a teaching. And the whole time I'm listening to it, I'm thinking so-and-so needed to hear this today. How prideful is that of me? I don't care how long I have accepted Jesus as my Savior and been walking this road. I don't care how long. That is pride, and that's going to keep me from being changed. I need to be changed every single day. 2 Timothy 3 and 4 says that they will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. So we can look godly. It's in the Bible that we can look godly and we can be doing our our godly thing, but not allowing the power of God to fully change us and be activated. And just after that in verse 7, this is what a lot of Christians do too, is they heap up words of knowledge. And ooh, it sounds good. That sounds right. I'll agree to that but they're learning and listening to anybody who will teach them, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You are hearing truth. You are hearing knowledge. My husband can tell me something, but if I'm prideful, you know what? That word of truth is going to bounce off my heart and then I'm just going to reflect ugliness back to him. If I have pride, pride is a wall. Offense is a wall. And if we have these things built up, we are not going to be able to uh, really uh, be changed or help change anyone else for the glory of God. So who, who is called to be a minister or disciple in this room? Every single one of us, okay? And so if we want to be changed and help change happen, which is what we're commissioned to do, then we've got to deal with these things. We've got to stop allowing our ears to hear it, but that's as far as it goes. It never gets past and into our hearts. We've got to allow it to get into our hearts. Amen? (laughs) There's a scene in this really, uh, you know, godly movie called (laughs) Footloose. So I was just had the TV on the other day. This movie's on. I watched it as a kid. Okay, so there's uh it, if you know anything about this movie. Oh gosh, I'm pulling a mat. At least it's not Rocky, right? He always refers to Rocky. I'm not referring to Rocky. Okay. <laughs> But in this movie, um, the, the main character, this female, uh, or one of the main characters, her dad is the pastor of this town. And this kid comes into town, and he's got great motives, um, and he wants to have a dance in the town. Well, the pastor... Uh, you know, is and all the other people think their town is just getting out of control because these kids want to have a dance. Well, the pastor's in the church and he hears some ruckus going on outside and he runs outside and into the town. And all these people, in, adults who are afraid that they're losing control of their kids, are burning books. And he immediately says, like, he has this look on his face, like an epiphany. Uh, that, and he tells them, he says, uh, burning the books is not going to get rid of the evil. Um, it's not the evil in the books. That's the problem. It's evil in hearts. It's the evil that's in our hearts. And so getting burning books, like y'all are just saying that this is the problem and I'm not. And after that moment, Change started to happen. So we can all day long point to other things and say that this is the evil in the world, or this is the problem, or this has been taken out of school, so this is the problem. But ultimately, it all comes back uh, to a heart issue. And Matt was talking about that a couple weeks ago. He's been talking about Babylon. And not only us getting out of Babylon, but Babylon coming out of us. Okay, so we can't always be pointing our finger, and I'm spending so much time on this because I, for so long, before I started reading this book, I, was, I read the Bible, and of course I noticed things wrong in, in me and in my heart, but when he started saying, taking the scripture and unpacking it the way he did in this book... I was able to really, with a magnifying glass, notice some things. Holy Spirit allowed me to notice some things. And it takes humility. It takes humility to really um, be willing to say, Lord, how have I gotten away from you? Or how have I, you know, I'm doing this right, but I will admit I haven't done this right and this needs um. To change. So we can't take ourselves out of this world where the evil is, but we can take the evil of the world out of us. So let's get into this chapter 2. Um, it starts off with this uh, Matthew 24.10. And we're going to unpack this, and I think it's, um, it's really effective if we can get the understanding of, of this scripture. So Matthew 24.10, it says, And then many will be offended... Will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So, first we see that it says many will be offended, then many will be deceived, basically. So, an offended person is easily deceived. So if, the, if you say, oh, Satan's just having a field day with my mind or I've been extra emotional lately or I felt really distant from God or I just can't press in, there's a, a really good chance that there is an offense somewhere in your past, maybe recent or distant. But it's important to stop and say, why does the enemy just have me like this? You know, why am I being so deceived? I know the truth, but I just can't get a hold of it or I just can't believe it. Have y'all ever felt like that? Like you know the truth, but you just can't get a hold of it. You just can't sink it in. It's because life is coming into you, but you cannot sustain the life in you. You're just rejecting it. It's like the Dead Sea. It can't can't allow living, living things can flow into it, from the Sea of Galilee, but it can't, everything dies in it. It's just stagnant. And so life can be coming into you. You can be attending and listening and taking things in, but not being uh, changed. You can still be deceived that there's nothing wrong with you. So let's keep on going. It says, this is the key that I really want to bring out, that it says many Well, if you're underlying or whatever, it says many will be offended. Well, who who are these many? We're going to find out as we continue to read. it says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Underline that part too. The love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved this rocked me so it says the love of many will grow cold so there are several several greek words in the new uh, there's several greek words for love in the new testament but the main two are phileo and agape here the love of many will grow cold is agape Okay, so we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, so phileo is the other one. And, and phileo defines a love like between friends, like a brotherly love or an affectionate love, um, which is necessary in the body of Christ. But it also is kind of conditional, like I love you because we have this emotional connection and you uh, you, know, you give me things, time, attention, Etc. You help me and I help you. And I'm it's good. We have to have that brotherly love. The apostles talked about the brotherly love among believers. But if we only abide by the Phileo love, we're missing the the divine love called agape love. And so we're gonna unpack this agape love. Agape is the divine love that God has in his heart. And has freely given to us. So let's look at a few of these things that agape love is. Agape love is the love that's in the heart of God. And so when we're singing and we're saying, you know, here lately I've really, the last several years, realized that if I don't know the heart of God, then what do I know? I know my heart. That can get really filthy sometimes. And so if I don't know the heart of God, then what do I know? We have to know the heart of God. So y'all, when I'm up here worshiping, and while we're worshiping as a corporate group or at home, and I'm praying, I'm praying, Lord, show me your heart. If I'm trying to make a decision on something or I feel shaken about something, God, show me your heart. Because if I know God's heart on it, I can't go wrong. God's heart is everything, and the love that comes from his heart is this agape love. It's the love Jesus freely gives to us, okay? It's unconditional. It does not mean that he loves us based on condition, based on how hard we work, based on our rights and our wrongs. He just loves us because he loves us. So in the word, when it says, I love because he first loved us, that's agape love. So it's not based on performance or whether it's returned. I love that uh, it's a love that's given even when you're rejected. Before I say this last one, I wanna, I'm getting choked up because I'm going to share something kind of personal with you guys. And this is, I'm sharing this because. I want you guys to understand how easily a fence can slip in and look like something completely different, okay? So I'm going to let you all into something um, that while I was reading this, and obviously I'm still shaken about it. I'm still working on this, and I didn't realize that there was a fence in my heart. It can even happen to our children, us with our children. So I was sitting at the table, and I was reading this chapter for the first time. And in it, it was saying um, uh, that it was, you know, was just thinking about it and processing it. And I've thought of all the times that I've raised my voice at my oldest daughter um, because I was disappointed in her. And because I was irritated at her and uh, I said, you know, just don't talk to me right now. That's a wall, right? And we become these things. Can y'all identify with this? That whether it's your child or someone very close to you that you love and that you would die for, that you have this amazing emotional connection to, I would give anything in my life for that child, But yet, I've been offended by her. I mean, y'all, I could drop this mic right now and end up on this altar. That agape love has not been fulfilled in my heart. That my heart still needs piecing back together. And when we acknowledge something like that in our hearts, if I have been offended by my own child, then I've absolutely been offended by other people, even in the church that are my brothers and sisters in the church, that I probably haven't realized that it was an offense, that because I didn't realize it was an offense, I never addressed it. Does that make sense? How convicting is that? But you know what? Last week we talked about the fire and afflictions changing us, right? Bringing those impurities to the surface. So I thank God. You know when he said, be thankful in all circumstances? How can you be thankful in a circumstance where you feel feel ashamed? Or where something really bad has happened to you? You thank him because he's changing you. He's given you the opportunity to be purified and changed. We always can have that opportunity. Now, we might not take it. We might overlook it because it's way more comfortable to do that. But to really allow um, God, he's offering that opportunity to you with grace. And so probably one reason why I'm so broken over it, there's probably still some pride in there that I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I've done this to somebody I'm really close to, or I felt this way towards somebody I was really close to, or my own child. And so, see, our humanity is so depraved. If we do not have God, we are so selfish. We have got to have this agape love. If we're going to see revival, if we're going to see families come back together, if we're going to rock and roll for Christ, we've got to have this agape love at least doing a number in our hearts. It may not be fulfilled yet. We won't be perfect yet. But as long as it's turning, as long as you're aware of these things, okay? Does that make sense? Is this... I hope I'm relaying this in a way where it, it it hits home with you as well. But go back to that slide where um, I don't think I finished those out. Sorry I got broken before you guys, but I believe you and I shouldn't be sorry because that's how we should be when we come into the throne room of God. And I felt like sitting at my table that day, I felt like I was in the throne room of God. And in that moment, I felt... I first felt like shame, and then I felt broken, and then I ended up just in tears, and then I felt the Lord's grace just like overwhelming me, and I knew that even though I was not perfect, and even though I knew that I would probably mess up again, or that I would mess up again, and that, you know, I had not achieved I could just feel his grace all around me. And he will do that for us if we're just honest. If we're just transparent with the Holy Spirit and say, wow, this was pride and call it what it is. Because guess what? We have the authority as children of God to call something out that maybe we opened a door to to say, I have authority of you and I bind you, Spirit of Pride, spirit of whatever. We have that authority to call that out of us at any single moment in time. You have to say, I have that authority. Amen. So the agape love, it's a love that's given even when rejected. That's really hard. Because if we're not operating in agape love and we try to love on somebody and then we get rejected, That doesn't feel very good, does it? When you've uh, given a gift to maybe make a statement to somebody and they never say anything to you. Or, you know, if you've complimented them a whole lot of times and then they just act like you don't even exist. It's a love that goes beyond uh, getting rejected. It's a love that gives others, whoo, this is a hard one, a love that gives others the right to hurt us. A love that is so vulnerable and pure that it's saying, I'm going to let you into my life even if you hurt me. And if you hurt me and reject me, I'm going to continue to love you. I'm going to continue to accept you and root for you and celebrate you. Because if we have the eyes of Christ and we spend time with him, then he's going to counsel our hearts. And, and uh, do we spend time with Holy Spirit and let him counsel our hearts? If you do, then he'll bring out those things and show us these things that we need to self-correct or things that we're lacking on. So this verse that we were talking about in Matthew 24, it said the many... How did it say it? The the love of many will grow cold. And we said, who are these many? The many Jesus is referring to as growing cold are those whose agape, the Christians whose agape has grown cold. It's not surprising when unbelievers love has grown cold or it's kind of that imitating kind of love that looks like love and compassion, but it's not really because it has nothing to do with God. But, and it's selfish, um, but when that oozes into the church, and it has, it's started making its way into uh, the church and believers, and that, can, it, that just makes me cringe, thinking that, Lord, I don't want my agape love to grow, um, to grow cold. Y'all get this. Okay, y'all know that exchange between Jesus and Peter in, I think it's, it's John 21, where Jesus was about to be crucified and he asked, uh, and Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times. Do y'all remember that interaction between them two? So when Jesus asked Peter the first time he said, Peter, do you love me? He said, do you agape me? That's what that Greek word is. Peter answered him back and said, Yes, Lord, I love you. That Greek word is phileo. So he said back, I phileo you. The second time Jesus asked him, he said, Peter, do you agape me? Again, Peter said, I phileo you. He had not allowed himself he had an emotional affection and connection to Jesus he loved him dearly but with the phileo love he had not yet let that divine supernatural unconditional love to fill his heart so the third time this is really interesting so the third time Jesus said do you love me Jesus said Peter do you phileo me And Peter answered him back and said, I phileo you. So Jesus met him where he was at. How full of grace is the Lord to meet us where we're at and to still accept us when our agape love has not been fulfilled in our heart. Isn't that, that just gave me so much um, peace and hope And I said, but Lord, I don't want to be the one having that interaction with you or with other people and telling other people I love them. How many times at church do you hug somebody and tell them you love them? Are you loving them? Have you even thought about it? I haven't really dug in and thought about it. Every time I tell someone that I love them, am I telling them I phileo you or am I telling them I agape you? Maybe some I'm saying agape, but probably most of the time it's phileo. And so we've got to make sure our heart is working out of this agape love as well, because if it's not, then we're going to be easily deceived, take the bait, and get offended. So I hope that understanding Um, helps give you some direction and just helps you be more mindful when you're you're in interactions. So here's where faith, remember last week we talked a lot about faith. We talked a lot about um, how faith comes to play in us rejecting offenses. So here's where faith comes in again is we must have faith in the love of God, the agape love, that we buy into it as well. Isn't it crazy how sometimes we don't really believe, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we don't really believe what Jesus says. (laughs) Maybe we don't agape love because we don't really have faith in how good agape love works. I'm gonna jump ahead here to Galatians 6, 8, and 9. So without God, we can only love with a selfish love, right? That is only received in return. Agape, on on the other hand, when we operate in it, we can have faith that it will harvest what we plant. Let's read this in the Amplified. It says, For the one who sows to his flesh, his sinful capacity, his worldliness, his disgraceful impulses will reap from the flesh ruin and destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary or become discouraged in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap if we do not give in. Spiritual growth is learning how to love. And having faith in the divine agape love of Christ, that if we sow love, that we will reap love, even if it's not in the field that we planted it in. But I believe Christ, look, he loved those people, and they still crucified him. Because he knew that if he sowed in love, agape love, that he would reap a kingdom of sons and daughters who loved him back. If we sow love, and then it frees us to love the people that have hurt us, it frees us to love them. Because we don't have to expect anything back. We can have faith that the love, the unconditional love that we have sown will reap a harvest. But if we sow of the flesh, the selfish kind of love, it's just going to be down, a downward spiral, corruption. And then you're going to be in that trap of yourself. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You feel like you can't get out of yourself sometimes. Like, oh, I know that was the wrong response to a situation like that, but I just don't know how else to respond. It's because not the other person is not the problem. It's because you're loving. You're not loving with the agape love, the unconditional love. You're not sowing into that moment love. In the book, I'm going to read a quote from the book. It says, you need to realize that when you sow the love of God, you will reap the love of God. You need to develop faith in this spiritual law, even though you may not harvest it from the field in which you sowed or as quickly as you would have liked. You will never be a loser for giving agape love. You will never lose and so, a lot of times, the reason why we feel really cruddy emotionally is because um, not so much, but we blame it on how other people or situations have had things that have come to us and messed us up. But really, we would be like James. I love James, the book of James, and he talks about being stable and not being back and forth. And I'm like, oh yeah, I love that scripture. I love that truth. But man, once I started reading all this, I said, man, I am like this all the time. <laughs> like, that's why I feel uh, chaotic maybe in the day to day when things aren't going right. It's not because of my other situations, it's because I'm not standing firm in who I am and having faith in the love that I'm giving out. So, it's what kind of love are we giving out? Are we just seeing past ourselves or are we wrapped up in um, how it's going to benefit or hurt us personally? Let's read Matthew 5, through 47. Jesus said this, ooh, Jesus' words, they hit different, don't they? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, fellow man, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love that is unselfishly, oh, love that is unselfishly seek the best or higher good for you, your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may show yourselves to be the children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on those who are evil and. ...on those who are good, and makes the rain fall on the righteous, those who are morally upright, and the unrighteous, the unrepentant, those who oppose him. For, ooh, for if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, wishing them God's blessing and peace, what more than others... Are you doing? Do not even the Gentiles who do not know the Lord do that? And therefore will be perfect, growing into spiritual maturity both in mind and character, actively in integrating godly values into your daily life as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's one that we need to read over and over again. That I don't want to be so assimilated into culture that my love looks exactly like theirs. That our love is to go beyond. That if you see or you're in the middle of a situation where offense could rise up, that you're the one to proclaim wisdom in that moment. Rather than be the one that gets fired up and throws the fireball back at somebody or you look at your the person beside you and say I can't believe they did that to what are you gonna say I can't you know or they call you and you're just keeping that fire going or are you gonna have that agape perspective and give wisdom that hey let's think about this the way God how does his heart how does his heart see this situation How do we need to respond? And maybe pray with that person or you stop and pray if you're feeling fired up. So when we begin to sow seeds of love, you have faith that you will reap a harvest of love somewhere. So then you no longer have to see it as a failure when love isn't returned from the person you're giving it to. Lord, in this moment, I'm not done yet, but I just feel like our hearts need to stop and take this in. Lord, I know your presence is here, Lord. And in this very moment, as we're receiving this truth, Lord, let it not be another truth that we hear with our ears, but we don't let it get into our heart. Lord, we release pride and fear. Y'all know pride is usually rooted in fear. If you continue in pride and in fear with relationships with yourself and with the world, you're going to continue to be trapped. And offense bears much fruit. It just does. There's so much that will branch off of offense. And the fruit that branches off of offense, that comes off of offense, are walls that become strongholds. And those walls are usually erected to protect us, to protect our heart from more hurt. Have you ever felt like you felt in this moment where like, okay, yeah, I am keeping people at a distance. Like, yeah, I'm not going to let them too much more in. Or maybe you're not even aware that you do that, but I'm going to tell you other people notice that. There's people in this church that I love and I've tried to get close to them and it's like the best way I can um, explain it is it's almost like they're a porcupine and I can only get so close and then like there are unsaid things that I can, it's spiritual, that I can feel that they're not going to let me any closer. That there are walls put up and they've become strongholds. Y'all have heard the word stronghold, right? It's not a good word. Okay, um, it's it's harder. I had that scripture here at the very beginning, and I didn't read it. But that an offended person is oh, I wish I could find that scripture. It's Proverbs eighteen nineteen. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. That a person that is offended, it is it, they have got these walls so strongly built up, they're strongholds, and so they they were originally they were hurt, so they erected these uh, walls to protect them. But then those very walls that they set up as a protector, they've been a, a source of torment and distortion. Now everything that comes to them is now the reality is distorted. And they perceive an argument as that person is against them. They perceive that this conflict over here or this correction over here, it could be truth, um, but it's not received that way. They've been hurt. Those walls are up. It's completely the truth has been distorted. Okay? Okay. And so it's now tormenting them, and now uh, they war against the knowledge of God. The Word says we use God God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy. This is a scripture you can put up there. Uh, to destroy false arguments. Verse 5, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So it's really hard to believe that God means what he says, but we know that God doesn't lie. And that we have to have faith that the word will accomplish what it says it will accomplish, and it will do that, exactly that through us if we are obedient and humble and willing to see things from a higher perspective. A lot of times when we erect those walls, we become. Um, this is hard to accept too, but has if anybody's ever called you controlling, or maybe in a moment, and I've been there, I felt like I was trying to control or manipulate a situation. Okay. Because I I didn't trust that person. I didn't trust the situation. I just wasn't very, you know, I thought I was better, you know, had pride in me and thought I could deal with it better. And so I started trying to control the situation. Control is rooted in fear. Control is a spirit. Fear is a spirit. So when you start digging deep with Holy Spirit... And you allow him to start counseling your heart with these truths and the knowledge of Christ. You let him to do what do what this scripture says that we can, uh, you know, transform our minds. Okay, we take captive every thought that goes against the knowledge of God. Then when we start to do these things, then we can bind up the spirit of control. If you start being aware that you are controlling, you have partnered with that spirit, and you have the authority to say, like we were saying early earlier, is that spirit of control, I bind you. I bind you right now, and I am no longer in partnership with you. I renounce you, and I am God's. I'm God's son or daughter, and I will operate in love And not of the spirit of control. You are no longer a part of me. And you repent of that spirit and it's gone. And the next time it comes to partner with you again and you notice it again. I bind up that spirit of control and manipulation You start using your emotions to manipulate people around you to make them uh, know that you're angry. Have you ever let somebody know that you're angry by letting your emotions kind of fly, slamming doors, raising your voice? Not, (laughs) thanks Michael, me too. (laughs) Giving them the silent treatment, that's a spirit of control. You're taking control in that situation and you're also trying to control the other person. That's a hard truth to accept because we all do that, don't we? Can I get some head nods if you're in? Oh, come on, Twyla. <laughs> come on. No, but we, we all do that. And so, but we have the authority. One of the weapons that we have is God has given us the authority to spiritually go to war with these spirits that are trying to partner through us partner with us through offense or with offense. And so if we do that, if we start taking authority over those things and have a repentant heart about it, not a victim mentality, but a repentant heart, then we will be sharpened by the Holy Spirit. We will grow in wisdom. We will grow in favor with other people. If you really want to be a revivalist, if you really want to be a game changer, Start allowing Holy Spirit to counsel your heart. The book says an offended Christian is one who takes in life, but because of fear cannot release it. Jesus. I don't want to be just a soaking in life, but not giving life out to anyone. This I was doing a little research on all this, and I came across this C.S. Lewis quote about love. I think it might be the very last slide. It's pretty long. Um, I don't have it on my paper, so I'll have to read it from this slide. I think it says at the top, it's a C.S. Lewis quote. Do what? It's not on there? Are you sure? Or the second to the last slide? Oh, no. Well, I'll just basically break it down for you guys. (laughs) So, Do I? It's not on there? No, it's okay. Basically, I'll have to share it with you guys, or I'll share it somewhere next week. Um, But basically, he's saying in this quote that um, we can hide ourselves and protect ourselves um, our whole life. And basically, you'll be miserable if you do not allow yourself to be vulnerable in love. If you do not allow, like, don't love pets even. Don't love any, don't give your love to anyone. But the closest thing to that is hell. Is basically what he says. And so we have to live our life, put ourselves out there for people to hurt us. For people to misuse us, um, Jesus did that, right? He put himself out there to be uh, mocked, to be, but he sowed love anyway because I don't want to experience hell now. He's given me eternity now. And so, even though we may be mocked, we may be mistreated, we may be misunderstood, one of the worst things is being misunderstood. When your heart is right and you're trying to do, and you're misunderstood for it. That's one of the hardest things to swallow, right? And easiest ways to get offended. But if we do it anyway, then God is going to protect us. He's going to teach us, and we're just going to be better for it. We're going to be more like Jesus for it. So I'm going to read some of these declarations over us. Justin, you can play play some music and we're just gonna end um, in some prayer. And I'm gonna read a few of these declarations over us that are in the end of this book. And I just want you to self maybe just reflect on the knowledge that you have tonight of, of the love of Christ, where you're at with that, And then declare these things over you. I will not allow my love for God to grow cold in my life. I will live my life in these last days through the power and fire of God's love aflame within my heart. God's love in my life will not be conditioned upon the performance or response of others. With the Holy Spirit's help, I will love those who mistreat or reject me. I will sow the love of God so that I may reap the love of God. I will not allow my foolish expectations of others to disappoint me and cause me offense. I'm going to read this about expectations of others. I know it's hard to listen when somebody's just reading something, but I feel like I should read it says, when we walk in selfish love that is easily disappointed when our expectations are not met. If I have expectations about certain persons, those people can let me down. Do y'all have expectations of people sometimes? And then when they don't exceed your expectations or even meet your expectations, you're disappointed. You get all uh, beside yourself, confused says, they will disappoint me to the degree that they fall short of my expectations. But, get this, if I have no expectations about someone, anything given is a blessing and not something owed. I'm going to read that again. But if I have no expectations about someone, anything given is a blessing and not something owed. We set ourselves up for offense when we require certain behaviors from those whom with we have relationships. The more we expect, the greater the potential offense. And you think, well, I know this person and I know I should expect more out of them. Or I should expect this much out of them because I know they have this potential in them but when you start doing that, that goes back to that spirit of control. You're gonna start trying to control them by setting certain expectations and then that becomes demonic. Did y'all know that control, is, is, is manipulation is witchcraft? So then we cross into some really ungodly things and I, I'm sure we've all been there Whether you want to admit it or not, we have high expectations and we try to work it to where that person meets our expectations. They don't. We get offended. We've set ourselves up for offense and then God's love is nowhere present. And so, Lord, we just ask that you supernaturally transform our hearts and our minds, God, with your truth. God, I listen to your truth tonight. I declare that no weapon from the enemy will stop me from hearing you tonight. Lord, I repent of not loving, Lord, with agape love, with just being satisfied with loving, with phileo love. God, I thank you for your grace that continues to teach me And give me opportunities to love like you, Lord. Give us opportunities. Come on, stand with me and just declare. Lord, give me opportunities to love like you do, God. I want more. God, we want to see revival. We want to see bigger things, God. But you said that you've already given us the key to revival, Lord. You've already given us victory, God. You've already given us all the power that we need. God to to do great things for you God and that great things might start in our very home. That God great things might start in our marriage. That God great things might just need to start between me and our our, our children. Us and our children. God show us what that looks like God. God, let us see that compassion does not necessarily equal love. That compassion without agape love can be very foolish. That compassion without wisdom can be foolish. Lord, teach us how to love and how to not guard ourselves from love but guard ourselves from offense and from the tactics of the enemy. The enemy is deceptive. He is sly and he wants you to think that you are doing great. But the Lord says, enter my courts, submit yourself to me and we'll work it out. And there is peace. There is freedom. Thank you, Jesus, for freedom. Thank you, Lord, for freedom. Can y'all just thank the Lord for freedom? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your freedom. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a perspective and a higher place, God.